0: Hey everybody! This is A7X fan Ben, and welcome to Pirate CSG Podcast number 29. Unfortunately, the logistics didn't work out, so you're stuck with just me for this episode. On this episode, I'll be talking about some recent news from the pirates community and a bunch of random um, suggestions from the survey results. So if you haven't taken it already, I'll include a link to the, the Pirate CSG Podcast survey where you can give your thoughts on what you'd like to hear about, and you can also just respond to this post on Miniature Trading or wherever you see it in terms of suggestions that you think we should talk about. So getting into the news, um, the first one, you may have noticed that this episode is shorter than most of the other episodes, and the podcast format is going to probably change a bit. You can see if you're seeing the video, uh, you can see some of the poll results here. So what length would you prefer the, for the Pirate CSG podcast? A miniature trading about half the voters say 60 minutes or 30 minutes, so basically an hour or less, and most of the podcasts are longer than that, of course. And then I also have um, I don't have I only have a few responses on the actual survey because I didn't ask the question uh, originally, but in the survey results, out of six responses, three people so far said 30 minutes and then two said 60. So five out of the six recent responses say an hour or less. So, we may be changing the podcast format up a bit. We might record two um, episodes in one day, essentially, but do two recordings. So then we might have two half-hour episodes or two that are approximately 45 minutes long as uh, it cater to the audience better to shorten things up. And I also like the thought of it um, so we could have episodes with a stronger theme rather than having an hour and a half with a ton of different topics. We could do uh, like a customs-based episode for one of them, then we can do news and other different random topics for the other episode if we record two at once, things like that. So the format's going to change a bit, probably some shorter episodes coming up. Uh, the set reviews are almost done anyway, we don't have any big sets left now that Fire and Steel is done. So anyway, so a bit of a format change, but of course always let me know, let us know what you think of uh, the timing of it, if you'd rather have long episodes, things like that, but definitely based on Results so far, we should do shorter episodes. So, we're gonna see how that goes. Uh, Along with other news, eBay, there's some chaos on eBay. Uh, It's been a golden age, sort of, at least in this day and age, for eBay. So, you may have noticed that there's been a lot of amazing things being posted on there. Some of the PDX Yar members of the Portland group seem to be selling off some of their collections, at least two of them, including Dogen PC, who kind of started this kind of eBay run on July 1st. A lot of auctions ended. A lot of amazing stuff was up, some rare stuff. And then recently, here in August, um, on Friday, August 3rd, a bunch of complete sets ended. And not just, well, those were actually from a different seller, not Dogen PC, but he had stuff ending then as well. So some records were set, as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I know. I started keeping eBay records in 2011, and I've kept a reasonably close eye on eBay in general, especially in terms of auctions at least. And South China Sea a punched complete set not even new or mint unpunched complete set of South China Seas punch went for $482 and it was 19 shipping at least that's what it showed for me so approximately 500 bucks for a complete set of South China Seas it is the most rare set it's a really great set too but for something a complete set of punched to go for that much is really crazy um, and then Davy Jones' Curse went for 339 which was also higher than I expected. I was thinking that maybe 200 no more than 250 So it went for almost 350 So Davy Jones' Curse also went really high. And then Crimson Coast went for about 180 So between the three of them, um, that's around $1,000 for those three complete sets. So pretty crazy. Uh, there were some people at the Facebook group bidding bidding on those lots. And then a bunch of other, some other complete sets went went up for sale and ended that day, along with a bunch of other stuff. I got a couple smaller lots, but anyway, so, and then there's still some auctions up. Dogen PC hasn't finished selling all their stuff. I don't know if they're selling all of it, but anyway, so yeah, part of this eBay chaos and this eBay explosion recently is because it seems like some of the, some of the old members of Portland group in Portland, Oregon, um, are getting out of the game somewhat early selling some of their collections or maybe all of them. So It'll be interesting to see if there's more more on that front in the future. And into the next part of the news, uh, there's a petition uh, on ipetitions.com, and you can find a link um, in this podcast page or in the poster wherever you're seeing it. And it's to bring back parts of the Spanish Main. So somebody uh, under the username Jewel from Miniature Trading in the Discord and the Facebook group created a petition, uh, probably something I should have done earlier, but Um, sometimes I get caught up in the small stuff and don't do enough of the big stuff for Pirates. So, the goal is 500 signatures. As of this episode on August 14th, there's 89, so go ahead and sign the petition, and hopefully if we get enough signatures, we'll at least get some kind of decent response from WizKids or NECA, um, even if, you know, 500 probably won't be enough to bring back the game by itself, but, you know, at least if we got a response or got something going, it would be, it would be cool to see. So, and then the next part of the news... Ocean Terrain Contest number three, the entries are in. So there's four um, entries up on miniature trading. And you can see part of NetMind now if you're looking at the video. And this goes along with a, a podcast request. Somebody talked about doing more content in terms of like do-it-yourself items and whatnot. So I'm just scrolling through my post a little bit. So I'm going to leave a link, of course, in the, in the description for the podcast. And you can check out my post there. And in the post, I go into decent detail on how I made stuff. A lot of it um, was foam and spray paint and cardboard. And uh, I made a bunch of interesting things for the Ocean Train Contest. My stuff is more biased towards like having fun during gameplay and actually using this stuff rather than spending countless hours making it look really beautiful. So my, my stuff is usually less aesthetic than other people's, but I do play with it more often on average. And uh, a lot of it is really cool. I have a lot of cool gameplay ideas with it as well. And of course, Command the Oceans, um, ironically enough is uh, the game I played to showcase my my stuff for Ocean train Contest number three. Second so the next part of the news, Command the Oceans, I did fix the, the battle reports for this game, so they were all messed up, because post images changed their URLs, and I did have um, the updated URLs hosted at BoardGameGeek, because I was able to post the entire game in one post at BoardGameGeek, which is crazy, because CTO, Command the Oceans, is... Uh, in a Google Doc, I believe it's about 486 pages long, so it's my longest single-game battle report ever, um, I think by a pretty wide margin, probably, too. This lasted from September through December of last year in 2017. It's the biggest game of Pirates ever played that's been recorded, and probably my most magnificent uh, effort in terms of battle reports, games, pictures, uh, descriptions, everything. Just just really crazy and amazing, um, unprecedented for me and for anybody else, basically. So, and I used a ton of my uh, custom islands and terrain, along with stuff by Ross and Az, of course. So anyway, so I fixed the fixed the original battle report on miniature trading, and I'm glad I did that. It's really nice to see it back up, so you can see the entire original thread in its you know in its glory now. So I'll put a link to command the oceans as well. It's a, it's really interesting to read about. It's a really cool battle report, uh, if I do say so. But I will say it's extremely long and it takes a wicked long time to get through. So I would recommend maybe you could start reading about it in about a month um, and read about it on the anniversary dates. So it started um, around September 9th or 10th. First Battle Report is the 11th. And you could just go through each Battle Report like one a day if you wanted to read about it in a more you know digestible format. And then you could spread it out as well. So anyway, so definitely an interesting game to check out, to say the least. And it's it's pretty crazy how big and crazy it got. So anyway, so that wraps up the news that I have for this episode. And now I'm going to go into some of the survey results uh, for suggestions. And one of them says, interesting combos besides putting Hammersmith on every pirate ship ever and Hermione Gold on every English ship, Dominic Frayde on every Spanish ship, Davy Jones on every curse ship. So that's a good point. Um, sometimes we get kind of, basic with some of the combos, especially on the set reviews, but sometimes we have to speed those up. So anyway, so I'm going to talk about a few interesting combos here, and this goes along with some of the other suggestions as well, because some people want more discussion on fleets and gameplay and rules and combos in general. So I'm going to go over something I like a lot um, in one of my crazier fleets at Miniature Trading. It's called Golden Cranes, Hoist Madness, and it's about 152 points which I understand is a big fleet, but it's more about the combos inside, which you could use as part of a smaller game if you wanted to. So I'm going to go into a few of these combos here. So this is going to be kind of an obscure one, but the first one is the Maui's Fishhook with some crews. So the Maui's Fishhook is an English hoist from Savage Shores, uh, 20 points with five cargo. And she's got a link to Lady Camille, who is an English crew. These are both super rares, the Maui's Fishhook and Lady Camille. And Lady Camille is a super rare English crew that costs six points, and crew of any nationality can use their abilities on the ship. And you also got the S exploring ability, which isn't really the point of having her aboard. So you can mark an island as explored without docking at it if you're with an S. So anyway, so she's six points. But the key is she links, so that means um, she adds a cargo space and then takes it up. So basically, the cargo is still at five for the Maui's fishhook. And then her first ability to allow crew of any nationality board... That allows Grim the Savage aboard, which opens up the possibility for some crazy combos. So he's a Viking crew from Frozen North. You've probably heard about him in past episodes, maybe a collection review series on my YouTube channel or Frozen North uh, set review. We might talk about him more in the future. He's a six-point Viking crew. This ship may dock into an enemy home island and take as much treasure as she can carry, rather than just one coin. If able, she must leave on your next turn. So this is pretty fun because with a hoist, you can dock and then... You can take as much gold as you can carry. I've also got a helmsman aboard, so that decreases the amount of fish up to three cargo. Horseman doesn't take up cargo space. So you can take up to three coins with Grim the Savage, who is on board because of Camille. And then with the hoist keyword, you can use that to swing the hoist arm around and give it to Native Canoes, which is another part of this fleet. So the American Native Canoes, this is a multi faction fleet, obviously. So I've got the American native canoes with the chieftain on the frontier. I actually, in this fleet, I used all three hoists from Savage Shores, all three physical ones that were released. And the American native canoes are amazing because they have SL speed 2 cargo, and only cost 10 points, which is an amazing deal for native canoes. And they have an ability that says once per turn a free action, you can transfer one treasure from a friendly ship within S of the ship to this ship. So they can basically take coins from the Maui's fishhook. So it's an interesting strategy where you try to get the Maui's Fishhook into range of an enemy home island, and I do have Lord Micron in this fleet, so the Maui's Fishhook can rely on that extra action. HMS Patagonia is docked at home, and then she uses Lord Micron's ability to sacrifice her own action and gives it to the Maui's Fishhook, who can then move LSLS LS due to the Helmsman and extra actions. And this fleet is kind of complicated, so hopefully you can follow it. You can find a link... Of course, in the, uh, in the description or post for this podcast as well, if you want to check it out, the description is gigantic and really goes into extreme detail on how to uh, use the fleet. And yeah, I'm looking at a sentence here. It says, the whole idea is to create as much confusion as possible. So, um, so the Home Island Raiders are crew rather than obvious ship abilities. They will remain hidden until the last moment and then strike with great speed and agility. So, And then at the Frontiers if the Frontier Hoist and the American Canoes can take the gold off the Raiders, um, they could, the Home Island Raiders would be empty and then they could go back for more on the next turn. And uh, and yeah, because there's two, there's actually another Home Island Raider, the Buscador has Fernando Sanchez aboard, who is a regular Home Island Raider, can take one coin per turn um, for the Spanish Hoist, the Buscador. So, but this interesting combo not only involves Grim and Savage, who's an interesting crew, it involves Lady Camille, who's not really that, practical of an English crew. I don't think she's really that great, but in this combo she can actually shine due to her link to the Maui's fishhook, so you stay at five cargo before you add the other crew, and then she allows Grim to come aboard, and then you use um, what cargo is left over after the helmsman to take three coins all at once from an enemy home island. So it's kind of, it's an expensive, but for somewhat effective home island rating strategy, I still need to use this fleet in the game. This is one of my fleets I'm most excited about using, uh, it, does have, it is kind of fragile and has some mysterious flaws and could be in big trouble if an opponent keeps enemy gunships near their home island, but it still has a ton of cargo and could run gold normally without stealing it to still be an effective fleet. And then the Maui's fishhook Hook, to, to just add more gravy to the combo, the Maui's fishhook has the secret hold keyword, so treasure can't be taken, you can't steal the gold back, your opponent can't steal the gold back um, by boarding her, which is cool. So, It's an interesting combo, especially with the American native canoes. Like I said, they can take a a treasure from a friendly ship with an S and transfer it to the canoes. So it gets crazy. So you could do all this in one turn. You could do an extra action via Lord Micron to the Maui's fishhook, move LSLS, dock an opponent's home island, load three treasures with Grim the Savage, and if you have at least three canoes there, you transfer the coins to them, and then you can move them. So because the coins go to the native canoes as a free action due to their ability of the canoes. So you could transfer the coins to the canoes and then move them if they were already in position. And along with that, uh, there's only three coins instead of five. So then you theoretically, you could have two extra native canoes that would take the coins from those other canoes, the first ones that took them. And this is how it works with the native canoe uh, chaining, which is something I've used in the past. Um, it's pretty awesome because the canoes can transfer treasure between them. So, so the first three canoes would go in, get coins from the front, uh, from the fishhook, and then two American Native canoes could actually take the coins from the first canoes and then move their own SL movement. So, it's pretty crazy because normally with home island raiding, you've got ships docked at your opponent's home island and then they sit there, or maybe they can't move away that turn, things like that. Or in general, the gold stays near your opponent's home island. And they're able to mobilize and maybe block you out, or Steal the gold back like immediately, but between the hoist keyword, the secret hold keyword, and um, and the native canoes, basically taking the treasure and then scattering or immediately moving away, you can actually get the gold somewhat far from your opponent's home island in a short period of time, which is something you don't normally see with home island raiding. So I think it's a really interesting combo. There's a bunch of other support in the fleet and the frontier and the buscador in the fleet too. So it's kind of a gold-running powerhouse fleet, even if it doesn't, uh, even if it can't read in an equal island. So this is just one example of kind of the crazy combos you can make with this game, especially if you have more points available. And this is one of the biggest reasons I recommend playing games above, and sometimes well above, 40 points. I think 60 points, 80 points, 100 points, those are all great, but I would recommend once you've, at least once you've done those, I would recommend going even higher. So this one's basically 150, and, uh, and it's a, it's a fun build total, and you can really you can really pull off a lot of combos. Once you go over 100, pretty much anything is fair game, even like a decked out 10 master with all sorts of stuff going on. I think the most expensive delusion combo I've thought of is 76 points total. So even in a 100-point game, you could try to do that and then still have some points left over. So once you get to over 100, like 150 or so, uh, you can do pretty much whatever you want. In terms of combos, which is a lot of fun. So, anyway, so that covers that. So that's a that's definitely what I, I think is an interesting combo. And I'll try to do more more of that in the future. And I might do more of my fleet showcases on here in the podcast as well. Not uh, not just on YouTube. I already have at least one fleet showcase on my YouTube channel as well, under A7X same username. And going into the next uh, recommendation or suggestion from the survey results. Same person actually said uh, ideas for incorporating more campaign game style rules into a small 100 to 200 point game. So this is I think that's a good suggestion, because when I've talked about campaign games in the past, it's usually from my experience, which is where I have weeks to play the game. And then I actually want it to grow to like crazy sizes of like 2000, 3000 points um, or more. So and that's that those are my favorite types of games. But I understand most people don't have the time. Or the logistics or maybe even the collections to play those kind of games and i understand that so um so i've got a few thoughts on that and the first one is something i actually did in december 2015. you can see the battle report um i'll put a link to it but the the pictures are ruined because photobucket went under and collapsed but anyway <laughs> so the pictures are dead for now hopefully i'll be able to redo the report someday possibly in video form but anyway the idea was I did a cumulative game where gold is spent along the way to purchase new ships and crew, but I was using my traveling collection at the time, and that meant that I only had so many ships and crew for each faction, early ships. So um, so instead of having unlimited ships to choose from or close to unlimited, like 100 ships per faction, for example, I only had um, four ships that says, yeah, it says four ships from each of the big six factions for just 24 total ships. So this is an interesting way to limit the size of campaign games. So you could still have the rules where you can spend any gold at your home island to buy new ships and crew, but then to limit things and to limit it to, you know, 100, 200 points, like they said, um, have a cap on it. So basically you'd have a pool, like a pre-selected pool of ships from your collection, or if you have a small collection, you're just limited um, by default and then you can only pick from those ships. So let's say maybe each faction, instead of four you could have, each faction can only launch up to five unique ships, and that would limit the game size um, by itself. So, and eventually you'd run out of gold to spend or new ships to launch. So it could become a little bit of a problem, because if the pool didn't have the same point cost for each faction, it could become a little bit biased, but you still have to spend that gold. So And this gets into endgame rules too. You could You could do most gold wins, Um, once every ship has been launched or something, or you could just do, I would probably just do a regular campaign game rule where, um, the last fleet afloat wins. So once there's only one player able to give actions to their ships, that would be, that would be the end. That's what I would prefer. But anyway, and so for this game, it was weird because I gave 15 points for a starting fleet. Um, you could go more of course, and you could do kind of an alternate rule. And this kind of goes back to the suggestion, Instead of doing 15 points as a build total, they set into a small 100 to 200 point game. So you could have a build total of 100, which is kind of high for most people. But then you could maybe have a pool of, let's say, like 50 or 60 or 100 points worth of ships um, in kind of like what you could call like a launch pool. I'm kind of coming up with this uh, on the spot, but you could have like a launch pool of like 50 to 100 points. For each fleet for each faction, if it's single faction games like I like to play. And that way you'd have a bunch of ships to start, but then you'd still you'd still get that campaign or cumulative game experience where you get to launch new ships, but then it's there's a cap on how much you can launch, how much you can spend. So I think it's an interesting idea. I also like the thought of I haven't done really I haven't really done this yet for the most part, but I like the thought of having regular rules where the the winner of the game is the one with the most gold, but then having the cumulative game rules where at any point you can spend gold that's on your home island to purchase new ships and crew, because then it becomes, I know other people uh, enjoy this. I've gotten that idea from some of the survey results in the other surveys um, that recommended it or said they played this type of game where they can buy new ships and crew, sometimes at friendly forts too, but especially at your home island, But then the most gold still wins the game. So instead of being kind of like a deathmatch type thing where the last fleet afloat wins, you still have to win on gold. So then it becomes the whole game is almost like a conundrum or a paradox because if you spend gold to get more ships and crew, um, you're decreasing how much gold you have technically for the end. But at the same time, you might need to launch stuff to defend yourself or to raid an enemy home island or to pick up more gold. So that's something I definitely want to try out and I need to do more. And I like the thought of doing that in a smaller like campaign game, cumulative game. Usually I think of campaign games, just the word campaign in general kind of suggests a longer time scale. So it's the same idea, but campaign games often have like a specific rule set associated with them, which I'll talk about in a moment. Cumulative games, just in general, are games where you can spend gold to buy new ships and crew. Campaign games are, in my opinion, at least and historically... I would associate them more with longer timescales. So rather than like a communal game, you could play in a day or maybe three days, campaign games, probably at least a week. And oftentimes using like special house rules or a special rule set. So anyway, just to wrap up um, the suggestion, at least though, I would say um, limit it to like a launch pool. So you could start with X number of points for the starting fleet, and then each faction or fleet could have like a launch pool with a with a cap on the number of points available to launch, and you could include crew in that. So rather than just 100 points of ships, you could do, you know, each faction can't launch more than 80 total points worth of ships and crew. So it's almost like a like an additional 80 point fleet that you may or may not launch, depending on how the game goes. If you're able to launch them, or maybe you don't want to. Again, if the if you still have to have the most gold at the end of the game, rather than last fleet afloat, maybe you maybe you prefer not to launch as much, try to have the most gold, but it might make the game take longer in a way too, or make, make it might make you make uh, more likely to be eliminated in the meantime if you don't have enough ships to defend yourself. So I think it would be a really interesting way thing to try out, um, and definitely something I would recommend in general. Campaign games are my favorite type of game to play, which I've talked about numerous times. So I would definitely suggest this type of this type of play style. And getting into a little bit more on on the, on that suggestion, uh, I got game ideas thread up. This is at miniature trading. It's a it's a thread I made uh, that compiles scenarios and campaign games, a lot of different variant rule sets, and some other ideas toward the bottom as well, um, and basically it just has links to a lot of stuff. So, for example, the economy edition rules they could work in a smaller campaign game. Like my my economy edition game grew to um, almost three thousand points back in twenty fifteen, but you don't have if you don't have time for that. Again, you could put a cap on what gets launched, you could put a cap on a lot of things, or you could do alternate endgame rules, you could do, like, a quest-type rule, you could have, like, a quest, like, maybe if you eliminate, maybe if you sink five enemy ships in one turn, you automatically win, or something like that, or just a timer. You could do, let's say, this game will run for 24 total hours, and then you play it, or maybe that's too much, maybe you you say it's a 10-hour game, and then you have five play sessions over the course of two weeks, each two hours each and you put a timer, and then at the end of 10 hours, whoever has the most points in play is the winner, for example. Or gold in play. You can do gold instead. I, I like points in play because the biggest fleet wins uh, in general, so I like that better. Like, points uh, in play would, would be, like, crew, equipment, and ships, and maybe forts if you want to, things like that. Points spent would, would count, if it's still in your fleet anyway, if it hasn't been sunk or eliminated. So, so there's a lot of ideas... There's a lot of ways to make campaign games and community games shorter in general. So, for example, you could try you could still try out the economy edition rules, which I highly recommend. They're really fun rules where you've got resources instead of gold, and then you convert into gold uh, based on the chart of values. And then, like I said, you could just put a cap on how many, how many points each person can launch. You could do alternate endgame conditions. Yeah, time limit. So, yeah, a 10-hour game. You could do a 5-hour game. That won't be a lot, but anyway... Yeah, so Trade Monopoly, Cannon Fury does have some other some other uh, endgame conditions here, like Trade Monopoly, all resource-generating islands belong to one player. That's probably not going to happen, but it still could. And yeah, an adventure card or quest, something that hasn't really been discussed too much um, or done a lot in these kind of games. But yeah, if you had some kind of quest card or uh, condition or whatever, like I said, if you sync five or could do 10 ships of an enemy player or all enemy players in one turn maybe that could be like an auto win you could have you could have some kind of auto win scenario where if you have like three specific uts on your home island you win so that could that could result in some pretty crazy and hectic moments where somebody thinks they're going to win but then it turns out that some other player is uh is coming close to getting all three uts and it could lead to interesting alliances or a coalition um a lot of interesting a lot of interesting stuff trying to home island raid the UT off their home island or something. Anyway, so there's just so many ideas you could do with this. So and that's just that's just kind of like the tip of the iceberg as they say. And hopefully we'll get into more other campaign game rule sets in the future. But I'm gonna try to keep this podcast reasonably short as we change the format up here. And the next one I'm gonna go into um, this is one that has appeared I think multiple times in the survey suggestion. So it would score obscure or random rules interactions. So for that, I have the pirate code up. And something that comes up somewhat often is that Eternal is broken in the deathmatch style. So in deathmatch basically it's just uh you know you you probably already know it's, it's like a battle to the death where whoever has the only ships left in play at the end is the winner. Like last it's basically last fleet of flow without any gold whatsoever. So And in the Pirate Code, Wolf writes about it a bit. Um, Alternative rule sets like the Deathmatch style of play, despite their popularity, have never been fully supported by the official rules, So many abilities may not function properly, and some may even create an unfair or game-breaking advantage. This is not a flaw in the game. If you use house rules to change any aspects of the rules, especially victory conditions, and it creates an ambiguous or game-breaking situation, you should further adjust your house rules to account for it instead of complaining. (laughs) And I agree completely. So with Eternal and Deathmatch games, I like to have it only work once. For example, I don't really play a lot of deathmatch. Um, I prefer—I usually prefer games with gold. Sometimes deathmatch is just kind of like a kind of just like a dice-rolling fest. Uh, sometimes it's not uh, all that great. It depends, though, on the size of the game and the the players and ships involved. But anyway, it can still be a good uh, format, and I know a bunch of people like it or prefer to play it once in a while. So, so with the eternal, I think there's a thread on miniature training about this. Um, and there, yeah, there definitely is. But Eternal, I like to have it work only once. That's what I do. Um, so, anyway. So, yeah, and that's, and it, the pirate code goes into a little bit more detail. I'll put a link to the code, of course. And if adjustments to specific abilities that may be problematic such as Eternal have not been provided the rules for the event, players should attempt to come to an agreement on how to handle them prior to building their fleets. If an issue is discovered during play, the players should come to a consensus on how to proceed for the remainder of the game. So that's what I I would certainly agree with that. So eternal, I like to have it only work once uh, per ship in deathmatch games, and I think that's just the best and most simple way to go about it. There's some other suggestions on the thread at miniature trading, but that's what I think. So that's the little rules thing of the day here, and I did release uh, rules for thought number 15. I'm slowly running out of rules for thought ideas and from the from the rules survey. Uh, short answer responses and these recent ones weren't quite as good so the quality of the suggestions. No offense to anybody, but they've gone down a little bit as i posted a lot of the more interesting ideas already. But the series isn't quite over yet, so you can find those at miniaturetrading.com. As usual, I don't really have any recent game recaps, uh, but hopefully next time I may. And other than that, that's mostly what I was going to cover. So once again, sign the petition. Uh, let us know what length you want for the Pirates DSG podcast. I'll put links in the description or the post to my Ocean Train Contest number three entry, which relates to Command the Oceans, which I redid the battle reports for, so you can read about that on Miniature Trading, rather than having to wait for the Board Game Geek page to load. That's the funny part about the Command the Oceans, too, because it's almost 500 pages in a Google Doc. So uh, trying to load it on Board Game Geek takes a while. (laughs) It might take like 10 minutes to load So on Miniature Training. It'll be a lot faster because there's not you don't have to load approximately 3,500 pictures on one page, <laughs> so that helps. Anyway, I'll put links to the to my fleet as well and everything else I've, I've talked about here. Try to remember the podcast survey. Uh, try to remember to put a link to that, I'm kind of just reminding myself of the different things to link to. So let us know what kind of length you want for the podcasts. what formats. Uh, always, always feel free to suggest topics as well, which you can do in the thread or of course in the survey itself, because that's the main question in the podcast survey, of course, what topics you want to see on the podcast? And I'll end with a quick little question of the day, which is what is your favorite game type? And by that, I mean normal with gold or deathmatch, So fight to the death, last fleet afloat, or a campaign game or cumulative game where you spend gold, uh, to accumulate, uh, more ships and crew in your fleet. And the game could essentially be, uh, infinite in length. Um, and and any others so those are the main three game types i know about i made a youtube video about it i think with the same question actually uh, not too long ago but so you like gold games deathmatch, fighting games or uh campaign community games what's your favorite type i realize most people have only played uh gold based games or they've hardly ever tried the other ones especially campaign games because those can get really long but that's part of the reason i wanted to cover that suggestion because campaign games don't have to be three months long or, or three weeks long. They can be you could play it in a day that that tiny cumulative game that I'll link to. I was actually able to finish that in less than a day because I limited it. so there was a cap on what each faction could could launch. so so there was it could only last so long anyway. And then again, you could do alternative end game conditions like I said. So part of the reason I did this podcast, hopefully more people will will play campaign or commutative style games in the future. Even if they're not going to be, you know, huge games or anything, which is totally fine. So it's just a just a format I would highly recommend trying out at some point, um, even if you have to play a, a limited small version of that. So, so what's your favorite game type? Feel free to feel free to answer in the comments or in the posts or whatever, or just let us know personally. So thank you for listening. This was Pirate CSG Podcast episode number twenty nine, and this is A7X Ben signing off for now.